America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. My producer, Mr. Darren Wilhite, behind the cameras, my producer, Mr. Dave Thiessen. We are on 14 podcast channels all across the podcast networks out there and on YouTube. If you want to listen to one of these shows up there, also 221 affiliates across the country broadcast this show on their AM and FM stations. So today is one of my multi-topic shows. We're going to get right to it. Uh, This is where I talk about a number of different issues that I go through and find that I think may be of interest to you that you may not have heard about. Hopefully you haven't. And uh, this is good information for you. So I'm going to start with the first one. And this one I found kind of interesting. It came out of the Wall Street Journal. You may know this. You may not know it. The two people who advanced the mRNA um, protocol that, that that advanced it to the point where it could be used by Moderna, Pfizer, um, and Johnson Johnson in in the COVID-19 vaccines, were awarded the Nobel Prize. It's a fascinating story, and I thought I'd share it with you. First of all, the first uh, one of these two that were awarded the uh, were the prize was Caitlin Kerrig, and she is a refugee. She was a refugee from an immigrant from communist Hungary who came to this country. Um, and, and she worked at the University of Pennsylvania, and she was working on this particular project. The project was, uh, you know, th- this is something I think is interesting. You know, you hear a lot about um, we're behind China and our innovation's not this, and our innovation's not that. And you listen to people like Ray Diallo, um, who, you know, is the big hedge fund manager for Bridgewater and who claims that, you know, China's going to overtake the United States. It's only a matter of five years or more. Well, that tune's kind of changed now that China's kind of in the tank financially and economically. But nonetheless, you know, we keep hearing all this nonsense. Well, um, when it comes to um, medical and biology, uh, medical biomedicine technology, uh, we're still the leaders, folks. Okay, and here, so here's the story about um, uh, Caitlin Carrico and Drew Weissman, who was her partner, who helped do this breakthrough for their contributions to the mRNA platform that became the basis for COVID-19. So human cells naturally synthesize the messenger RNA from DNA. mRNA delivers the genetic code instructing the cells to create proteins. That was what made the COVID-19 vaccines work, all right? All right, so many illnesses are caused by proteins and their absence. Scientists had long tinkered with synthesizing mRNA that can instruct cells to make proteins that could essentially self-heal. That's what this was all about. Mrs. Carrico, an immigrant from communist Hungary, worked on the de- designing the mRNA coding for proteins that could prevent, the purpose of this when she started, was to prevent blood cell, blood clots um, after heart bypass surgery. That was the reason why she started doing this, was to be able to prevent that, to dilate the blood vessels and to relieve a hemorrhage. That's what she was trying to accomplish here. Well, you know, out of that, okay, she happens to meet um, uh, uh, Mr. Weiss, Weissman rather, Drew Weiss, at a water cooler in the office, and they start having a conversation. Well, so the University of Pennsylvania thinks what she's doing is total nonsense. This isn't in the article. I just happened to know this because I read the whole story. They kick her out. Out of the university, she goes to an off-site office someplace in a basement, and she starts working then with Drew Weissman. And they come together, and they put together the mRNA process. You know, 
this is fascinating because the university shunned them. They didn't see any value in what she was doing. She was determined to do this. She said, if I saved one person's life by creating what she thought was this anti-clotting program that was going to save people's lives, then she felt it was worthwhile. What wound up happening was um, she created the codes that allowed them to create the COVID-19 vaccine that saved an enormous number of people's lives around the world because our vaccines, the, the, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, the Johnson Johnson, they work. Uh, the ones from China, not so much, okay? Uh, but, but, but the ones that we invented here in this country work, and they've become the standard around the world. So I thought it was a fascinating story that they did this, but let's go on. So they win the Nobel Prize, okay? Oh, and by the way, the University of Pennsylvania, who licensed this, this, this protocol to make it available to the pharmaceutical companies, makes a fortune off of this. Okay, because it came through their university's science program. So they made a fortune off of it, even though they had shunned her and thought it was never going to work. Kind of interesting, isn't it? I guess it's a real testimony to somebody with tenacity that believes in what they believe in. So anyway, now what they're finding is that they can use this mRNA formula, this mRNA protocol for other kinds of illnesses. So we go on. Okay, so they, they talk about the fact that this could now become an issue where they're going to use is an antigen that creates the immune response. Now they're going to start using it for cancer. And they're going to use this to be able to target a specific cancer and cancer cells and go in and kill the cancer cells. So now they're morphing this mRNA into a cancer protocol that's going to be able to save people's lives. It is remarkable, and you've heard me say it on this show many, many times, the leaps that we keep taking scientifically, they keep changing the way that medicine Healthcare is delivered in this country. And for all of the complaints and the bitching and moaning about our healthcare system and everything else in this country, this is the kind of thing that proves we're still doing it better than the rest of the world. And, and this is proof positive of that. Okay. So this is interesting because it goes on to talk about them and, and what they did and, and how it works. They said relentless experimentation led her to Dr. Weissman. And it was an epiphany for him swapping out the, the uridine, which was this, this, protocol, the protein that allowed them the MRA component uh, to work, okay? And out of this came a chemically similar compound, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, okay, uh, that naturalized the inflammatory response and modification and enabled MRNA human cells to boost the protein production, which then created the immunization that the COVID-19 vaccines did. So, you know, I just think it's amazing that they were able to do this and what they accomplished by doing it. And like I said, you know, when I listen to people like Ray Diallo and the rest of them talking about China is going to lead the world, okay, <clears throat> both scientifically and medically and everything else, um, Maybe, maybe it's time that they step that back a little bit, okay? Uh, again, these two folks won the Nobel Prize uh, for this, and they richly deserved it, especially in the face of all the adversity that they faced when they were trying to do this. So I thought it was a great story, um, and the, the risk-taking that they did to bring this to the forefront and create the COVID vaccine now being used. You're going to see this start to appear in many, many different places now that they figure out how to code this so that it can go into the cellular structure of the human body um, and teach it how to naturally fight and kill things like the melanoma and other types of cancers that we're going to see coming about. All that 
uh, from two people who didn't think they had a chance to make this work. All right, our second story here as we go through the segment is that, you know, we're starting to be in the winter season, and we I've been talking about this. We have surges in influenza, we have RSV, we have COVID, and we have flu. Well, here's, it's important to know right now that there is an RSV vaccine, and I've talked about this before. I've had doctors on and talk about it. I'm reiterating it again. If you've got children younger than two years of age, they need to get this RSV vaccine because if they get RSV, it is it becomes a, it's a pulmonary issue. I had it. I got it from my grandchildren. Um, it knocked me down for at least six weeks. It was not fun. You can't sleep. You're coughing. You've you know it, it's a brutal process to go through. There is a vaccine for it now, um, and I've gotten the vaccine. And I would urge you, especially if you have children that are under the age of two. All of my grandchildren are getting it. Okay, my grandchildren go up to age fourteen, and they're all getting it. Okay, because you know they go to school. And they're infected with this stuff, and then they pass it around, okay? And then everybody gets it. So the RSV vaccine is out there. There's also a huge um, surge now in what's called strep A infections. And these strep infections are much worse than the ones that we've seen in the past. So once again, um, they're telling us, CDC and, and other folks are telling us that this is something that needs to be looked at, and you need to make sure your kids are doing everything they can not to get the strep, and if they get it, um, that needs to be treated right away because this is really a bad one. There is a surge in this. We had 9,300 hospitalizations in the last couple of months. We had 150,000 hospitalizations overall uh, as a result of this RSV uh, and and, uh, some of the other issues that are floating around out there. So I'm urging you, um, if you have the opportunity to get the vaccines, also be on the lookout, especially if your little children are bringing home all these goodies from school, um, you might want to be taking some precautions with that. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network. Coast to coast across the USA, we've got more. The golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. I'm Steve Keeker, and this is one of the founding principles of my firm, Senior Care Consulting. Since 2002, our value statement has included, honor our mother and father, respect our elders, care for those in need, and treat your family as our own. We've been honored to help hundreds of families make one of the most difficult decisions they could ever make, serving them in their greatest time of need. If you're looking for someone who can provide you experienced and objective guidance when searching for a senior care community, reach out today and discover the services of Senior Care Consulting at 913-945-2800, 913-945-2800. Know your options and choose with care at SeniorCareConsulting.com. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. If you want to reach out to me, go to AmericasHealthCareAdvocate.com. Send me an email. I am happy to help you, regardless of what the problem may be. A young man with cancer the other day, a friend of his reached out to me for we can help him. Uh, with his health insurance coverage. He's being kicked off the plan by his employer, which was kind of interesting. 
um, and we're going to help him get coverage through the ACA. So once again, if I can help you, americashealthcareadvocate.com. That's what I'm here for. All right. So this was an interesting article that I ran across, and I thought it was fascinating because I actually had a, 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 a neighbor of mine who turned out to be a good friend of mine who died recently. Um, he was 87 years old, and um, we spent a lot of time with him. We would bring him. He lived right across the street from us, and when we moved out uh, to the country, um, I would go pick him up or have him Uber from his home to our home, and we would host him for Thanksgiving, New Year's Eve. He was a bachelor, confirmed bachelor all of his life, um, had a brother, but he had no other family, okay? And I always was concerned that Mike was going to be lonely or by himself during these time periods, so Lori would make these great dinners. He would come to the house and... Uh, I would have his martini ready when he got there. So this is kind of a little bit of a tribute to Mike. So this is an article about loneliness tied to the to loneliness tied to death risks that he finds. So basically what they're saying here in this article is loneliness and social isolation were linked to increased risk of death according to a new research done. This includes missing out on seeing loved ones, uh, not having weekly group activities uh, like a book club or getting together with people and just basically feeling lonely. Now, this is th this particularly affects people that are, you know, chronologically challenged, as I like to say, those of us that are senior citizens, um, especially this time of year. OK, you know, you're not doing barbecues outside and people coming over and, hey, you know, we're having a neighborhood block party or whatever the case may be. You're, you know, you're here in the Midwest. This isn't, you know, how it works in California, but it's how it works here. And it's how it works on the East Coast as well, even in Southeast. You know, when when the weather gets like this, people tend to be in their homes a lot. And, you know, if if you're if if this becomes an issue, especially with people that are widowers, uh, single living by themselves, whatever the case may be. And again, you know, for older people, um, this whole loneliness thing becomes pretty serious. And what there, what this study showed was that there was an increased risk of death. You know, it said it's hard to think of health condition that is not impacted by loneliness. This is according uh, to Dr. Clara Pepperstone. She says that uh, the geriatric and uh, palliative care physician, she's at the University of California in San Francisco, said those who aren't involved are most likely uh, to have this issue. And there's a 39, listen to this, because this is really quite remarkable. There's a 39% higher risk of death with people that are dealing with this loneliness issue. And here's what winds up happening. So they, they you know, they've been married for 30, 40 years. I'm married 39 years now. Okay, um, thank God, and I have a wonderful wife. Now you lose your partner, okay, and you start to pull in, okay. You know you're grieving. You're without. If you don't have family around you, maybe you know. In, in today's world, you may have children that live clear across the country. Okay, maybe you're fortunate enough to have children live close to you. We are, but that's not the case with everybody. Okay, or maybe you're somebody like Mike who really doesn't have but one other family member, and he's his brother who's only a couple of years younger than he is. They do get together, but that's not that you know that that kind of interaction is not good. Okay, I mean, not it's not good when you don't have that kind of interaction. So what winds up happening is people regress further and further and further into themselves, um, and they become more 
uh, you know, addicted to staying home, watching television. Um, the only time they go out is maybe go to the grocery store or pick up their prescription drugs, okay? And so this thing, this loneliness issue sets in, um, and, it, and it's pretty serious. This was in the Journal of American uh, Medicine uh, on neurology, and this was done in, in October of this year. Other research uh, implicated loneliness increasing higher blood pressure, okay, stroke, depression, and one study even found that adults living alone uh, might be uh, have increased risk of dying from cancer. That all sounds pretty preposterous, doesn't it? But it's not, okay? You know, so th- this is a pretty significant study, okay? People can have different preferences on how they want to socialize, researchers said, and, and a number of social connections that someone has, and this isn't being on Facebook, you know, 15 times a day, okay? This is actually interacting with people. This is this is going to, uh, you know, a, a club, uh, going out to dinner, uh, getting together with your friends, getting together with your family, whatever the case may be. But if you've got relatives in your family, or you've even got a neighbor like we had with Mike, okay? And we recognize that he lived by himself. Um, and, 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 and he spent a lot of time... Uh, up on his second floor, he had a three-story three house on the second floor where he had his bedroom, he had a little kitchenette up there. And oftentimes he wouldn't even come downstairs for a couple of days, okay? And, you know, we as we got to know him when we first moved in that neighborhood, um, he was more active then, but he came less and less active as he grew older. Um, and that's why we drew him out. We'd have him come over to the house for dinner. Uh, we'd have barbecues, whatever the case may be. And when we moved away and we lived, you know, clear on the other side of town out in the country in Kansas, um, I would go get him. Okay. Or I would have him picked up in an Uber and brought to the house. Okay. So that he could spend time with us. And he loved those opportunities. So when I read this, I thought, you know, I don't think people really realize that if this is your grandmother or your, or, you know, or your uncle or your aunt or somebody you're close to, and you know this is going on, reach out, okay? Try to spend some time with them, um, even if it's pick up the phone and call them. But the point is, you know, if, they're, if, they're, if they start to regress like this and they draw themselves more and more away from everybody and more and more away from socializing, this is what happens, okay? And amazingly enough, it impacts everything, as they said here, from blood pressure. I can see depression. You can see clearly how that would cause a state of depression. But when you start talking about things like people be alone might even increase their risk of cancer, okay? I mean, loneliness and the risk, of it, that's amazing, okay? And if they do have an issue like this, then how much more difficult is it for them to recover? So I guess the thing that really stood out to me here was this: if there is significant loneliness and they are not interacting like the, with other people and getting out, um, going to dinner, maybe going, you know, to a social club or to a social event, whatever the case may be, there's a 39% higher risk of them um, dying because they're not interacting. So I, I thought it was interesting and it's something that I wanted to bring to people's attention, especially, you know, this time of year, as I said, um, you know, this is a time of year when, especially here in the Midwest and on the East Coast, uh, we tend to withdraw a little bit uh, because we're inside, it's cold outside, you know, there's not a lot going on. It's not quite the same as it is um, in the summer months and in the spring months and even in the fall, um, it's a little different. So if you have if you have somebody in your circle um, who that amounts to, maybe it's in your church group, whatever the case may be, take a moment, okay, and reach out, okay? You might be surprised. You might also be surprised how gratifying it is. I remember those dinners with Mike really well. <laughs> And we talked about everything from how to butcher a hog 
<laughs> you grew up on a farm. We got to hear all of it, okay, to uh, what politics was like here in uh, Kansas City in the 1920s um, when we had a lot of uh, mob violence and other things going on that were pretty interesting. So it was kind of a history lesson, and we really enjoyed his time, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun being with him. So this is a tribute to Mike. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, if you know somebody like that in your family or in your neighborhood or in your circle, uh, take the time, reach out. You might be surprised at how much they appreciate that. Uh, you're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to talk about Nikki Haley touching the third rail of healthcare. Oh, boy. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. If you are looking for Medicare coverage and you're chronologically challenged like I am, uh, give the folks at RPS Benefits by Zyna a call. You can call Carol Lee Steele, 877-385-2224, 877-385-2224. Or if you're looking for group or uh, employer-sponsored health care, give uh, Maria Allers a call. She will be happy to help you and show you some things you may not even know are out there. 877-385-2224. Maybe you got one of those 21 or 23% premium increases and you've got a small group. Maybe you've got 5, 10, 15, 20 employees. Employees, they can help you. They can show you a better way to do that. Give them a call, 877-385-2224. All right, in this segment, we're going to talk about something interesting. You know, politicians basically refuse to touch entitlements. We're not going to talk about Social Security. We're not going to talk about Medicare. We're not going to talk about any of this. We're going to talk about Obamacare. And they are the largest portion of our federal budget. The entitlement programs eat up more of our budget than any other part, including defense for the military in this country. Well, Nikki Haley kind of broke the mold. She seems to be breaking the mold on a few things. Um, And so Nikki Haley, um, this was a fascinating article that I read, and I've actually followed her and watched some of the things that she's doing. She seems to have the ability not to be afraid to do things that other people are. I've always called this the third rail of politics because nobody wants to touch the entitlements. And you know, because I've talked about it, Social Security and Medicare will be insolvent if we don't make some changes. It's a matter of when. Okay, we'll talk about that a little later. But there's a reason why these things need to be talked about. So Nikki Haley is one of the few politicians willing to discuss entitlements these days. Nikki dared to do so in a recent debate on Medicare, and a new study shows her pitch to expand Medicare Advantage program could lower costs and improve care. Medicare Advantage programs, not Medicare. And this is what she contrasts. She contrasts, and she uses a study here, contrasting Medicare Advantage, the efficiency of Medicare Advantage, administered by private health insurance companies, okay, with Medicare administered by the federal government. Remember, not more than a couple of weeks ago, I had Claire Benson on the show, and we talked about government-sponsored health care and the hell that she went through with her Obamacare policy when they inadvertently canceled it. And she went through months with no coverage trying to fight with these people. Let me go on. Okay. Medicare Advantage plans are growing rapidly and cover about half the entitlements of beneficiaries. Private insurance companies administer these plans on the half of Medicare. Well, they do it more efficiently. Okay. And now that they're offering the zero premium plans, you've got over 50% of the people in this country are covered by Medicare Advantage plans. And why not? I mean, you see the ads ad nauseum on television, zero premiums and all the rest of it. Okay. But the plans work and the satisfaction rate with them is somewhere around 90%. 
uh, because people really like them once they get on them. First of all, they're not paying a premium. Uh, secondly, there are all kinds of benefits that come from these that are not on Medicare. You don't get a dental benefit. You don't get a hearing aid benefit. You don't get, uh, you know, meal service in your home if you're if you're recovering from an illness. You don't get trips to the doctor uh, with a, with an Uber or or a medical service that tra transports people back and forth. These are all additional things that come with these Medicare Advantage plans. That's the way they were designed. So there's competition between the carriers. Okay. So Nikki Haley goes on. Lower premiums have made Medicare Advantage plans popular, particularly among low-income seniors. Plans are able to offer more benefits, I just described that, at a lower cost by reducing unnecessary care and expensive hospital stays. Reducing unnecessary care and expensive hospital stays. That doesn't mean denying people coverage. Okay, It means that by being proactive... Okay, if you're a type 1 diabetic or a type 2 diabetic, the Medicare Advantage plan has, has a nurse or a care guide who's going to be reaching out to you going, uh, did you get your A1C done? Did you get your insulin levels checked? Um, do you need an insulin pump? Do you need an insulin pin? Uh, maybe you need one of those uh, Medtronic insulin pumps, or maybe you need that Medtronic insulin pin. Uh, we're going to take care of that for you. What are they doing when they do that? They're employing preventative medicine to keep you from having a stroke or a heart attack, okay, because you're higher risk because of this particular issue that you have with diabetes, or maybe to keep you from losing your toes on your feet, okay, because you're a type 1 diabetic and you're not getting proper medication. So that's the reason that these Medicare Advantage plans um, are, are lowering hospital stays and expensive medical treatments, not because they're denying anybody anything, but because they're managing the care better. The article goes on to say, Alvera, a health concert consulting firm, analyzed utilization rates in traditional Medicare versus Medicare Advantage. After adjusting for disease dem dem demographics, Alvera found that fee-for-service utilization was 12% higher 12% higher on the Medicare side than it was on the Medicare Advantage side. Hospital inpatient care was 37% higher on original Medicare. Now, you know, this harkens me back to a day when I had a debate with the then senator from Missouri, Claire McCaskill, who was pitching Obamacare and doesn't everybody love Medicare? Isn't Medicare wonderful? And I came back and said, Medicare is good, but Medicare Advantage is better. Now, unfortunately, the good people in the Democrat Party and on the progressive left don't believe that because they hate the insurance carriers. But the insurance carriers are doing a better job. They're doing a better job of administering. We can go on and talk about a little bit more about this. Here's the other part that's fascinating. Okay, Fraud and abuse, fraud and abuse on Medicare runs about 8% of the total budget, uh, which, by the way, just happens to be about $50 billion a year that is pissed away, I don't know how else to say this, okay, by the good people at Medicare because of their inefficiency and inability to administer. Would you like to know what it is on the Medicare Advantage plans? It's about 1%, about 1%, because they do a much better job of monitoring it, okay, which means what? It means those dollars are there for them to do other things with that money, okay, that improve. How, why do you think that these Medicare Advantage plans continue to add benefits, Meal service, that wasn't around four years ago, three years ago. Hearing aid benefits, expanded dental benefits. You've got a dental benefit right now on a Blue Cross and Blue Shield plan here in Kansas City that is $2,500 that you can have 
to, for, for dental benefits by being on their Medicare Advantage plans. I mean, it is really quite remarkable when you think about it. Well, the money that they get by saving and, and, and it, efficiency of what they produce allows them to offer these benefits and do a much better job. Now, here's what's interesting about this, okay? While this is going on, okay, and the, the, the Medicare Advantage plans are growing Growing, growing, growing every year. Satisfaction rates are up around 90% with people that have them. What is the Biden administration doing? They're doing everything they can to push down the Medicare Advantage plans. I'll give an example. So they decided they were going to cut reimbursements to the carriers by 3% this year. They didn't do that because the outcry, okay, from all kinds of constituents and people in Congress that they were going to cut 3%. They revamped it and decided they would do 1% a year. They're still going to cut 3%, okay? They're not cutting 3% off the Medicare side. They're cutting 3% off Medicare Advantage plans. And they're making it harder and harder and harder uh, for the brokers, agents, and people involved in selling these to message what they're trying to do. Uh, And I can tell you from working in this field for 20-some years, um, and I don't do it anymore, but, you know, the, the, the hoops that you have to jump through to be able to sell these products and be out there in the marketplace with them, 21 hours of training every year and another X number of hours by each carrier to be certified with their projects. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. Contrast that, by the way, with that show a couple of weeks ago about with Claire Benson and the amount of training that that, that navigator had when she canceled her policy 10 minutes into the call. Okay, you get a drift of where I'm going with this. Okay, so the point is that what 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 Nikki Haley is saying is let's expand these programs. Let's give more people. This is actually a program that works. Oh, by the way, just in case you're wondering, that program was put in place and signed into law by William Jefferson Clinton in 1997. Okay, so you know this program was put in place by a Democrat. Okay, in 1997, yet it's the Democrats on the progressive side that are trying to kill it, okay, and make it more difficult. Well, that's not going to work, obviously, because people love the plans and they're going to keep using these plans and they're going to keep growing. But they keep throwing impediments in front of them. Maybe instead of investigating insurance companies and trying to where they claim there's fraud and waste, they should take that money and start investigating Medicare. Maybe that's what they should do. Maybe they should give that some serious thought because it appears to me that might make a big difference. Here's an interesting contrast, by the way. The way that they're running Medicare right now, the fund will run dry by 2031. Medicare Advantage, on the other hand, if they were running the fund and the fund were being run according to Medicare Advantage protocols, would stay solvent until 2048. So ask yourself a question. And that didn't come, by the way, from some right-wing group or some Republican group. That came from the folks that conducted this study. So under the current process, Medicare will run dry, the fund, by 2031. The Medicare Advantage plan, on the other hand, if that protocol were in place 2048, it appears they might be doing a little better job on Medicare Advantage than they are on Medicare. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break with more. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. By the way, if you want to tell somebody about these shows or say, hey, they, this is kind of an interesting episode, 14 podcast platforms that we are on, uh, just about everyone out there I think you can name, unless Dave finds another one, um, and YouTube. And we got about 63,000 uh, downloads on the podcast side uh, so far this year, and we've got about 250 some thousand 
views on YouTube and another, I don't know, 87,000 downloads or something. So the show is certainly popular on the podcast and YouTube and 221 affiliates across the country, which we are very happy uh, to be on and, and look forward to adding more affiliates to that. So second, the last segment today I'm going to talk about, you know, I talk about this often, okay, exercise, especially for those of us, as I say, that are chronologically challenged. Now, that doesn't mean if you're 40, you can sit on your end and not do anything. Um, I've got two business partners uh, that, that are younger, considerably younger than I am, one of whom happens to be exercised regularly, the other one doesn't. Uh, and uh, his wife and I are constantly on his rear end to do it uh, because it impacts everything. But this is a story that says regular exercise helps mitigate the effects of COVID-19. Now, that's not really hard when you think of it to understand. Helps mitigate the effects of COVID-19, the study, this study suggests. People who exercise regularly have lower rates of hospitalization and death from COVID-19, publishing the American Journal of Preventative Medicine. This is a study that just came out, okay? It has shown an association between exercise and uh, better COVID-19 outcomes. It seems kind of elementary, doesn't it? I mean, you know, if you do work out and you're, and, and you're not a couch potato, you know, sitting there eating a bag of those potato chips and drinking a beer, uh, that you might find working out, you know, doing exercise once a day, um, you know, could make a big difference in terms of how quickly you're going to recover from a COVID or, or an RSV or the flu or any of these other things that are out there floating around. Okay. So it goes on to say higher amounts of physical activity were associated with lower rates of death and hospitalization COVID across nearly all uh, demographics. That, so it doesn't matter. Okay, we can talk about age. It doesn't matter what the age is across all demographics. A very active 70-year-old, yes, I'm 74, a very active 70-year-old had a higher risk of COVID-related complications <clears throat> than did a similarly active 40-year-old. But the exercise in both groups had hospitalization rates that were significantly lower than people who did not work out. Okay. Now, this is a study done on 200,000 adults. So this just wasn't some random thing. They did this on 200,000 adults. It goes on to say, um, you don't have to sweat and you don't have to go run every day. Okay. But what it says is you get up and you get out and you walk at the very least. Okay. You get up. and So I have this thing on my phone called a tracker. Okay. And every morning when I get up, I take twigs, my Pembroke Welsh Corgi, out and we walk. We do a half a mile every morning, okay? And I work out three times a week. I do a mile and a half on the treadmill. I do, a, I've got a, a Pilates reformer that I work out on, and then I do some free weight work. And I do this three times a week. Sometimes I try to do it more, but at least three times a week. Um, I'm 74 years old, okay? And I move around and, and work at, at a pretty significant pace. The exercise, I've talked about this for I've had Dana Goodale, my Pilates instructor on this show, I don't know how many times talking about this, that exercise is critically important. If you don't do this, okay, and then you get an illness, your recovery times are going to be significantly more, okay? Um, and, and you're going to have a harder time getting over these things, whether it's COVID or whether it's like RSV or bronchitis or flu or any of it. If on the other hand, you exercise, you have a tendency to throw this stuff off a lot better. And here, you know, as the article says, you do not have to get out and go running every day, okay? You know, nobody's telling you to go do a marathon or a 5K, but they are telling you that getting out and walking, just doing something as simple as going for a walk, 
Okay. And that, sometimes that's difficult to do, you know. Um, you know, we all laugh at the mall walkers, right? Well, maybe they got it figured out. Okay. You're in the Midwest and it's 27 degrees outside. You may not feel like going out for a walk. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, you know, uh, these people you see in the mall that everybody, and those are always seasoned citizens, you know, they're always those of us that have the white hair, right? That are in the mall. Maybe they figured something out everybody else ought to really think about because uh, um, uh, it appears that uh, that that amount of exercise that they do on a biweekly, three times a week, whatever it is basis, uh, probably has a lot to do with why they're feeling a lot better than a lot of the rest of folks are. And also how quickly you're going to recover um, from uh, an illness if you happen to get one. And as you know, this this time of year, you know, we're in the winter, you know, season goes on for quite a while. And this is the time of year when the RSV this the, again this year. You know, there was no vaccine last year. There is this year, but RSV is a nasty. Um, uh, you do not want to get this. Um, it, you know, it, it gets in your lungs. It's a pulmonary issue, and it's very difficult to get rid of. Um, you know, again, you know, use your head. You know, I, I still sanitize my hands every time I go in and out of a public building, and I still use triology. Remember all the shows I did on triology? I still have that little bottle in the car, and I spray it in my mouth um, every time I'm out in public because that's how this stuff enters your body. So try to be cognizant. Try to be aware of these things uh, and get off your butt, okay, <laughs> and get out and walk. At the very least, get out and walk. Maybe, you know, think about getting into one of those Pilates classes. I even actually got my partner, the one I was talking about who doesn't do a lot of exercise. He's actually going to a yoga class once a week with his wife, which um, I, I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it does it does impact um, uh, your well-being um, and it does uh, impact, um, you know, if you're married, it impacts your spouse and it impacts your family. So... Okay, as I close it out, um, we have 62,172 plays on the podcast so far this year. Uh, it is quite amazing. And the podcast channels are Amazon Music, Odyssey, Overcast, Pandora, RSS Podcast Feed, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Rumble. That was, a, that was a brand new one, Dave added. Spreaker. Uh, SoundCloud and TuneIn, also on YouTube. And by the way, all the shows are videotaped now and they're posted up there. Some of the podcast channels are letting us post videos. So they're all up there on the podcast channels um, and on the YouTube channels. They are becoming quite popular uh, with our topics. Feel free to go up and look if you want to tell us about the show. Do that. And now I'm going to close out with this thought from Thomas Sowell. And it reads this way. People on the left believe they would do what God would do if only he was as well-informed as they are. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America.